Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back for the first time since our post-draft coverage uh, as OTAs have wrapped up for the Titans and mandatory minicamp kicks off this week. You know, when it, because OTA is padless, there aren't really many storylines that come out of it. But I think something that's interesting to talk about that we're going to spend probably a majority of this episode doing is the Marcus Mariota conversation because that's obviously kind of the key uh, thing for the Titans next season is, you know, we know they're, they're a pretty talented football team. They have a stellar secondary. They've got you know a couple of pretty good pass rushers, I think, uh, good inside linebackers. And on offense, they've got some, some, some pretty good talent up front on the offensive line. They've got some receiver that that can send, can do some work, and and then it it's down to to Mariota. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and uh, it, I it, it's easy to to call this a make or break year. Uh, it definitely is, and the fact that the Titans haven't committed to him long term at this point um, is a is a signal for that. So I'm interested to see how he does in, in these mini camps and in training camp and in preseason. Um, see if he feels familiar with the offense and, and his surroundings, and see like we've talked a lot about continuity and, and maybe Arthur Smith can bring that. Uh, but I just want to see him healthy and, and confident because those are two things that have probably been his biggest undoings uh, so far in his career. Yeah, it's the first time where if he doesn't have a good season, it'll be because he's not living up to his supporting cast, not because, you know, he's been throwing two undrafted receivers or the offensive line's been a mess or whatever. I mean, this season really feels like it's on his shoulders. So, um, 
what do you think it is that we'll get into contract and money and all that in a minute, but from a football perspective, what do you think it is that Mariota needs to show this year? Is it a certain number of wins? Is it is it some kind of statistical accomplishment? I'm not entirely sure what I want to see. Uh, I don't take too much solace in, in the in like the touchdown interception ratio numbers. I don't think they always paint the entire picture. Um, so, I, I mean, that 26 to 9 touchdown interception ratio he had in 2016, I, I feel like that was pretty representative of his play. But l- like last year, he had 11 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. I, and I thought he actually uh, had a really good season. Uh, that definitely much better than 2017 and probably on par with his rookie season or even a little bit better than that. But the numbers um, the, didn't really show that. So I don't know if I can rely solely on numbers. I just want to see him complete a good percentage of his passes, um, have a good adjusted yards per attempt. And definitely probably the biggest thing is just the interceptions um, because he's kind of struggled with them over the past two seasons. Well, last year, not really. It was more so 2017. Uh, although he did have a couple of a couple of uh, but baffling decisions the last season that did lead to interceptions. But if he could keep that interception number down, um, continue with that completion percentage, which was like 69% last year, which is fantastic, um, and, and keep that adjusted yards per attempt in, in, in the mid-7.5s, seven, seven like 7.8, something like that. I guess it's too easy to say wins, even though that's really all that matters. Um, so I guess the way, the best way to say it is I just want to see the offense look better. Like I want the total points to go up. I don't want to feel yeah. like I've seen the same thing every week and that they're not sticking with what's working. So, I mean, they don't have to be a top five, top five or top ten team in points scored or anything, but it's just I don't want to be – in the bottom 10 top, or 12. Top 15 is, is yeah, like, what I would just, want. Like, just be productive so that when you look kind of to the team above you and to the team below you, you're like, yeah, that's the level of talent we have on offense. You know, you know don't you don't want to look at a team like, I don't, I don't know, Oakland after they traded uh, Amari Cooper. It's like you don't want to be in that range. Like, you want to be up there with teams with weapons, you know, so that even if you are a more conservative offense, you're doing well and you're productive and efficient. Because like Matias said, like the touchdown and interception ratio works a lot of the times just to see decisions, you know, how good a decision maker a guy is, how well they're producing. But, I mean, how many one or two yard touchdowns did Derrick Henry have this past year? I mean, there was something like seven, six or seven games in a row where he had uh, a rushing touchdown. And aside from the 99, Nine yard, well, really, aside from most of the Jacksonville touchdowns, those were all inside the five or ten. So, I mean, he's effectively putting the Titans in the red zone, and then, you know, whether it's the Chargers game where they called a pass and he threw it, and you know, it was Taywan Taylor that he threw it to instead of Corey Davis because of how you know the formation was instead of running the ball with Derrick Henry, or you know, a hundred other situations where. You could have run it, or you could have thrown it, but instead you ran it and it worked, or you passed it and it didn't work for whatever reason. Like, just turn some of those opportunities into touchdowns for him, and everything looks different on paper. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what it looks like on paper. I just want to see the offense play up to its potential and hopefully exceed what we think the potential is, and them just look like they belong in you know 21st century football. 
if they can do that, then that's a good season for Mario to even if he doesn't necessarily play every game. Uh, I mean, Aaron Rodgers rarely plays every game, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying, like, this narrative that you have to be 100% healthy for 16 straight games is just not not necessarily true as long as you're healthy for the postseason, as long as your team can make it to the playoffs, but those are two things they have to do. Yeah, and I think, Will, you really hit it on the nose with – it's not a stats thing. It's not a wins thing necessarily for me anyway. It's I want to see this offense look not even exciting. That's not the right word. I think effective is a better word. You know, because for the last several years, the Titans offense, you know, with Terry Robisky and Mike Malarkey, it was sort of archaic with how how often they ran the football. But last year with, with – uh, with Matt LaFleur, I think everyone was kind of expecting this modern takeover with a you know Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan-esque approach. And, and what everyone ended up getting was like this mixed bag of exotic smash mouth meets that. And it's like for every two steps forward they've taken, it's been two steps backward. And yeah, some of that's on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the, the play caller. But, like, you look around the league, and the teams that don't do well on offense don't have good quarterbacks. The teams that have good quarterbacks do well on offense. I will say uh, I, I've talked a lot of uh, – a lot of not trash about LaFleur, but I, I've been, uh, I was critical of him. Uh, but I, I will say that the personnel that he had last season was, was really bad, and I don't know how many – offenses or, or how many quarterbacks could have succeeded um, with that personnel. And this has seemed to be a common issue throughout Mariota's career and for the past five seasons. Um, I mean, it, Cameron Batson was our third best receiver. Darius Jennings was running as our number two in a bunch of games. We didn't have Delaney. So I, I don't know how much to take away from last season. Um but, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how much that how much of that is on Lafleur, um, and how much of that is on the quarterback, um, and especially when the quarterback w- was injured for for most of the year. So I don't know what I want want to see this year. I, I'm okay with us uh, running another run oriented offense, especially if Derrick Henry is going to be that same guy that he was over the over the latter last month of the season. Uh, and I think you could protect Mariota in that aspect, which isn't exactly what you want to do to a quarterback that you're probably going to commit a lot of money to. But you really just need a quarterback that can do the job for you. And Mariota has proven that he he's capable of doing that just as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, total output by the offense is really and not yardage because yardage is a nonsense stat that doesn't mean anything like points produced and how do you know i want to see more third and fours instead of third and twelves like i guess that's that's a good indicator like whether that means you know less running on first down because Mariota's doing well passing or you know on second and 10 you can get six yards on a quick pass you know things like that that can be attributed to the quarterback and smarter play calling like i, I would like to see that but so much of it is okay, do you want numbers and do you want a really high-power offense? Then Mariota may not be the guy for you, at least not in this scheme. 
because I just don't think that's where we're going to get from Arthur Smith. But if do you want an effective offense and a selfless guy who's not going to demand to throw the ball or run it in himself on the one-yard line, yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to get from Mariota. And that may end up being 9, 10 wins a season instead of 12 or 13. But, you know, at a certain point, he's just not necessarily a high-variance guy. He's a guy you know what you're going to get, and there's value in that. So I guess... I guess I'm kind of saying a bunch of different things to say I still don't think we're going to see a 35-plus touchdown season for Mariota. Like, there's not going to be this big explosion. We know who he is. Like, we know his ceiling is probably 32 passing touchdowns. Like, that's if he plays a full season. That's two passing touchdowns a game. Like, that's probably where he's going to top out and then a handful of rushing touchdowns. But, you know, if he gets that, that's a great season for him. You can't compare him to a Drew Brees or somebody in more of a pass-heavy offense because we've never seen him in that, and I don't think we will see him in that. So uh, I'm, I'm afraid what's going to happen is everybody is going to have this bias heading into the season that, well, you shouldn't give him a huge contract and extend him because look at what Kyler Murray did when he passed for 32 touchdowns last year. And it's like, yeah, well, they won three games. So, you know, it, it, it's it's this unreal expectation that, stats lead to or stats mean that a quarterback is good versus not having stats means a quarterback is bad and then you're going to see teams with four like Blake Bortles for his whole career like he was on terrible teams except for two years ago and he always looked pretty decent in terms of passing yardage and total touchdowns it was just because you know he lived in Bortles time which was the end of the game when he would just throw balls up against prevent defenses so uh, that's my big concern when we're talking about what success should look like for Mariota versus what the perceived success should look like. I'm more interested in the offense being more effective and more efficient rather than his stats going up. I I can't say for sure if Mariota could ever be that guy that, that throws 35 passing touchdowns in a season. He, But in, in on this team, he doesn't need to be that guy, mainly because we're still a run-first team. Uh, with a running back who looks like he can be one of the better running backs in the league. Uh, and we've been a run-first team for, forever. Uh, that That's just kind of who the Tennessee Titans are. And especially given uh, the current defense that we're running with, which is probably a top-five unit, they were last season, we're just never going to get into shootouts where we need Mario to just sling the ball around for the whole game. There are some games where we're going to go down, sure, uh, it may be a couple touchdowns, and we need him to throw like that. But he's proven capable in the past uh, to be able to to catch up and, and keep up with teams. Um, I think that Chargers game a couple of years ago where, where they just kept scoring, uh, he kept up in that game. And, and then that game in overtime uh, when Malarkey was the, the interim head coach against the Saints in the Superdome, uh, he kept up there. So it, it's not that he's not capable of. It's just that I don't think that's who we need him to be. I mean, even last year when he had all the nerve damage in his arm or whatever, he still went out and had, what, a 23 of 24 performance against Houston. Mm-hmm. The problem was the defense just couldn't stop Houston's offense. I mean, they they ran that fourth and one play where they handed the ball off to Stocker and he didn't get it, and then the defense turned around and let Lamar Miller run for like a 96-yard touchdown or something. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like certain games like that, like they don't, tell you how good Mariota is. He got him inside the five 
They decided to run it with Stalker instead of any other play. And then immediately the Texans flip the field and then score a score long touchdown off of it. And Mariota is going to get no credit for that. Even though he did have the second most accurate game by quarterback in NFL history, you know, so that's it's something he won't get credit for. And it's not going to look great on the stat sheet unless you really look hard. But I mean, he can't like you can't have a guy play much better than that to have two you know, I think two thirty or forty plus yard touchdowns in that game, and nobody remember it. Uh, that's that's brutal. Like that would never happen to Andrew Luck or Patrick Mahomes or anybody like that. Mm-hmm. But on that note, I feel like it is time to stop talking about how Mariota has bad luck and has bad circumstances around him because it's not 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 every quarterback is going to be in a perfect situation. And frankly, the only one that is is Jared Goff. And I just, I am personally tired of hearing the excuses because I feel like no other quarterback gets that. Like when Aaron Rodgers was bad last year, no one was coming out and saying, well, you know, he didn't really have anyone other than Devontae Adams to throw the ball to. Like it was all, you know, and, and he gets, I think, too much benefit of the doubt. I think that's what it comes down to for me. Are we? Does he? Because he gets he gets lit up pretty yeah, often he gets by fans. A lot for for a guy who's won, who's been on a team who's won twenty seven games in the last three years and a playoff game, he gets a lot of flack. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I mean, he I, he does. I don't know. I I will say I have noticed Titans fans' uh, opinion of Mariota changing lately to f- negatively or yeah or, yeah to to a more negative kind of general view listen yeah. look, like i'm i'm sick of i'm gonna be honest i'm sick of him getting injured and him not being able to to string like full seasons of, of consistency together but i i mean i'm sure we're gonna get into it in a little bit but what are the alternatives there just aren't that many out there yeah. and when you have a guy who was one of the best college players of all time, has put together two average to above-average seasons as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, and when he's healthy, he looks like a at least good quarterback. And in the NFL, you can win with an at least good quarterback as long as you have a good defense and you have a good supporting cast around it. I mean, the Rams got to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, who... I mean, I've said enough about Jared Goff, but I just don't think he's all that good. He's just in an unbelievable situation where he has so much time to make decisions and he could just let his arm arm talent um, do it for him. I just think that Mariota is better than the alternatives of tanking. Tanking doesn't exist, by the way. I I don't know where where people think that you could just— go on a a two-win season it tanking is a result of years of just pure incompetency we're not going to go from nine and seven straight to three wins or two wins and just get a top five pick and we can't mortgage our entire future to go from mid-teens pick up until the top five because we've seen what that does to some to some franchises It, it completely resets them for decades yeah um First of all, I want to talk about golf because y'all, you know, y'all brought that up. So, golf's first year, I looked this up before the podcast. 
Uh, Goff's first year, he had a 54.6 completion percentage, and this is in seven starts. He had five touchdowns, seven interceptions, and had a 5.3 yard per attempt. So those are pretty terrible numbers. Um, the way you compare that is Zach Mettenberger's first seven games, he had 59.8% com- uh, completion percentage, which is over 5% higher. He had eight touchdowns in those games, which just three touchdowns more. He had seven interceptions, the same as golf, and had a 7.9 yards per attempt. So I, I, I point this out to say sometimes you just get an offensive genius on your staff. Like, it's not, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And I mean, sometimes guys just benefit from that. Like, look at, uh, and I don't, I don't think that Belichick is necessarily an offensive genius. I just think he is an incredibly intelligent football mind and he knows okay this offensive coordinator can help me because I can see what he's doing and he understands football like I do so I'm going to put him as the offensive coordinator I mean look at what Matt Castle did I mean they won 10 games he had a good season they ended up trading him for a second round pick uh, which like sometimes you just have guys like that so you're going to get guys compared to Mario to like golf and like like Wentz and you know you're going to get these guys who are going to be compared and really 90% of what makes them good is what's around them. That's never been the case for Mario. And I'm not I'm not saying that we should keep making excuses for him, but I think if you look at almost every year in his career, there has been a circumstance that other people just haven't had to deal with. I mean, last year alone he got nerve damage, which I don't ever remember a quarterback, and somebody said I think Carson Palmer had it, but I don't ever remember a quarterback having like nerve damage, especially that early in the season, and you know coming back and playing so quickly and you know winning games or whatever. But even to have that injury, and then he also had his number two receiver, Rashard Matthews, or not, yeah, Rashard Matthews, just quit in the third game of the season. Like, I mean, it wasn't like he was a guy. It wasn't like Antonio Brown where they were like okay, you know, you freaked out at practice, you threw a football at somebody with the last game of the season, we're going to sit you and then trade you at the end of the year. It was, he just decided on a Thursday, he was like, you know, I don't think I want to play football for the Titans anymore and just quit the team. And that that was two weeks after Delaney Walker got injured. So now you're down your two top receiving options from the year before. So, I mean, those are pretty extreme circumstances. I mean, if we just said that his number one receiver tore his ACL and his number one tight end, who's a Pro Bowl tight end, broke his ankle within two weeks of each other, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So I get what you're saying, and if everything goes, you know, according to plan, or even, like, relatively according to plan, and they get in pretty healthy to the regular season, and then he's got most of or all of his weapons and offensive linemen around him, yeah, like, this is not going to be a year to make excuses for him. But, I mean, people act like, People are standing on the table saying that he's Russell Wilson. I don't think people think that of Mariota. I just think when you think of, okay, what are we going to do to replace this guy because he definitely needs to be gone, there are no options, at least in my mind, that I mean, jump out. Is okay. obviously That's, where you go. You draft another yeah, but quarterback and the try draft, again. It's an absolute yeah, crapshoot. But if you absolute lose the crapshoot, you have to try it again. Okay, well yeah. then we're taking... In a quarterback every every single yeah. year, or you end up with Mitch Trubisky, like Which, a quarterback who's probably bad. not very good. Like yeah, a, a quarterback who's not actively winning you games, but because you've 
went all in on your rebuild and actually got stuff done, the team around him is good enough to where you're like, okay, this team should be able to win a significant amount of games and go into the, go to the playoffs, you know, and then you're stuck with a quarterback who's not necessarily better than what you had before. Okay, so so like here's the thing. Let's say it's it's 2018. We have a mid-teens pick, and we move up like the Bills did to get Josh Allen. Do you feel better about the quarterback situation with Josh Allen than you do with Mariota on a $25 million contract? Because um, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. No. Or, or you look at the prospects that are coming in this year. Uh, this is Mariota's last year, so you would have to draft a quarterback this year. Uh, Tua is good. You're not going to get him. There's no way you can jump up to one or two. Yeah. from where we're going to end up. Because even if Mariota gets injured this year and he doesn't even play, we still have Tannehill, who has had 500 seasons or above 500 seasons. Well, Tannehill's, so up after, Tannehill's contract is up after this year. Okay, that's fine. But he, I, just, I just don't know what fans want. I think, I think they want to get out of this quarterback purgatory that you're going to be in probably with Mariota. But the alternative could very easily be quarterback hell, and then what? What is? What? How is that any better? You can you can win Super Bowls in quarterback purgatory. Like you don't have to have a guy dragging the team. Now you're not going to make it every single year, and that that sucks. But you can win a Super Bowl in the tenure of a quarterback who's not necessarily like in the top five or ten, and it's not ideal. But you're not. I mean. How many teams have ideal quarterback situations? Two? I mean... It, right it's now, of, at this very moment, maybe two. Yeah, maybe three. Mahomes I mean, in Kansas City, Seattle with Russell, yeah. and then maybe the Colts with Luck, but even he has... Yeah, even, even Luck issues. just had yeah major shoulder surgery and has got a calf issue right now and is not practicing in OTAs or something. Like, yeah. I mean... His body is starting to take a toll, and it's because he played so aggressive when he was younger, and now they've got an offensive line in front of him that can protect him, and that's great until the rest of the division keeps, keep, you know, adjusts and figures out, okay, this is where we need to attack, or, you know, he just keeps getting older. But, you know, I mean, there's just no, like, like I said, there's two people in ideal situations, and neither one of them wanted, like, neither one of them thought that was going to happen. I mean, Mahomes was the third quarterback taken in that draft, yeah. and then Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the teams the teams that are in you know the best situations almost got there accidentally, and I say that knowing that Kansas City traded up to get Mahomes, and they were doing that because they knew they could sit him a year behind Alex Smith, and that's true. But, you know, they didn't know he was going to be this guy or else they would have given up everything to move up to number one. Like, there's an element of luck and just, you know, sometimes the pieces are right. You know, Russell Wilson got to go to a team with Marshawn Lynch and the, one of the best defenses we've ever seen. So there was no pressure on him. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes was really freaking good in college and he's got, you know, some of the best weapons, you know, in the NFL and great offensive minds around him. So, you know, like, yeah, like he landed in a great situation. He got to sit and develop. Like, sometimes you just get really lucky and the planets align and you've got, you know, enough talent and enough, you know, coaches and 
supporting talent around you to turn into this elite franchise early in your career. But, I mean, Mariota's, what, 25 years old? I mean, mm-hmm. he's still got, you know, even even if he doesn't stay healthy and he spends his, you know, spends some time banged up every year, he's still got eight to ten years left, you know, just to play to a, an average of where quarterbacks stop now. So you're telling me there's no chance that he goes – to New England next year, sits behind Brady, and then eventually gets you know the New England treatment where somebody goes and pays him twenty million dollars because he showed well in a preseason, and then he ends up being a good quarterback for them. Like I don't know, I just I've seen too many times that Joe Flacco wins a Super Bowl or Nick Foles a Super Bowl MVP or you know all these other things that pop up where the rest of their careers have been terrible to average. But for this one brief stretch, they were good enough with a good enough supporting cast to win Super Bowls. And I think that answers the question of, is Marcus Mariota a competent starting quarterback? What that doesn't answer the question of is, is Marcus Mariota worth 30 million a year? Which is, I think, the next discussion we need to have. I, w- I want to answer this last. So I want y'all. I want y'all to discuss it first. Thirty million plus per year. I mean, I mean, wouldn't you think that's what he'd end up with? I don't know, but I know he's he's not worth thirty million plus per year. But I mean, if that's the going rate for an average starting quarterback, then then you have to pay him because I I don't see how, given this current roster, you can go into a full on rebuild. I, I just don't see it. I just think we have enough talent to make a deep playoff run with an a- average to above average starting quarterback. And if you hit the reset button, uh, you're going to have guys like Delaney Walker, Jarrell Casey. They're gone. They're going to be gone or they're going to be on the back end of their careers. And then you're wasting Corey Davis's prime. You're wasting uh, Adam, hum- Adam Humphrey's prime, probably A.J. Brown's prime. I, I mean, I just... I don't see how how you can commit to fall on rebuild if this if this last Mario season doesn't go as planned. Yeah, um, it's it's really tough for me because I'm kind of of the belief that I don't know. Do you think it's easy to get into quarterback purgatory? Sure. Just let's look at the Bengals. They've been in it for five years. And that's what I'm yeah, saying. I mean, like, do you do, do you if you're a Titans fan want that? Do I don't you know. Want to, do you want to turn into the Bengals and be with Andy Dalton for years? And the argument is that always he's too good to get rid of, but not good enough to like quote unquote commit to. Would you rather that than um, being the Browns and drafting another quarterback every two years and they don't pan out? Because well, it's one, a one legitimate of them possibility. Did. Yeah, like 15 yeah. years later. Like, yeah. Well, that, that's an anomaly. That's an anomaly. They drafted, They drafted what, third the year that RG3 and Andrew Luck came out? Like, I mean, sometimes you're just a bad team forever and the cards just don't go your way. Like, so, I mean, like, eat, like the Browns are the worst franchise in the last 15 years. And they've never managed to get a good quarterback. And even when they were in drafts with good quarterbacks, somebody else sucked harder than that they did. I guess, oh, I guess, I guess a, a good example for maybe tanking or, or trading up for a quarterback and gambling your future is the Eagles, who who kind of got back 
back to the top pretty quickly, especially with Wentz. But I mean, I have my doubts about Wentz, and they just com- c- committed what thirty million dollars per year to him. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, we assume that they're at a QB purgatory, but I'm not entirely sure. And given that you just paid that guy a bunch of money, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to the rest of their roster and if they're even going to be all that great. I, I don't know. It, this is a really tough, a really tough situation, and it's a really tough debate because there are so many different examples that you could take. Like, I mean, the Jaguars they they they, t- they drafted Bortles, and now they're 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 paying Nick Foles, who's not even that good. Eighty-eight million dollars. I, I I don't know. It's really if unless you luck into a Mahomes or a Russell Wilson or or you have the greatest coach of all time as like Bill Belichick. I I don't know. I really don't don't know what what, what to say. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the same five or six quarterbacks have made it to the Super Bowl for the last, well, at least on the AFC side, for the last like fifteen or twenty years, like. That's because it's really hard to get one of those quarterbacks. So, I mean, the answer for me is obviously, yeah, you pay him whatever it costs. And that's because I look at it like, okay, the Titans are too good to draft top five or ten for the next two or three years. Like, that's that's just the way that their team is built. Like, even if they've got average quarterback play, they shouldn't. And they're going to try. I mean, Mike Vrabel's not going to tank for three straight years. So, like, it's really a one-and-done kind of thing because if he has a really bad season, they'll just cut bait. So, I think you've got a way. What could I do with that $30 million that would make my team as good as a quarterback that when he plays, you know, he wins football games? Because that's that's what Mariota does. It, you know, he's had – he's on pace to have the fourth most – uh, game-winning drives in the fourth quarter uh, of any quarterback in history. Uh, somebody had that stat, and I, I tweeted it out. But, like, he's just – I think he's done it nine times in 55 starts, which is, like, well well above, I think, any of his contemporaries. He's just – he's really good when the game matters most. And a lot of that is because he stops worrying about, okay, you know, this is the play call. I've got to go through my reads. He just plays. And when he just plays and it's wide open offense and he can be aggressive, he generally comes out the other end okay. We saw that in Kansas City when we were in the playoffs or when the Titans were in the playoffs. So, you know, we've seen Mario to do well in the most critical aspects of the game, which is two-minute drill, game-winning drives, all that kind of stuff. I don't think you're going to find anybody like that, and I don't think you're going to do anything with that $30 million that equates to somebody like that. So on top of that, you also have to ask, is it worth $30 million to pay for Mariota, or would I rather give up several first-round picks and the prime of most of my known assets in exchange for this quarterback? Because even if he's a really good quarterback, no quarterback has great years until their second or third year. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, Mahomes was a freak to have his incredible season at his age, but even that was his second year. So you're saying, okay, when this roster gets three years older, where will they be? And I just don't I don't know how that pans out. Like, we talked about Casey and Walker are probably well, – I mean, Walker's probably gone for sure. And then Casey is probably gone as well. You know, then you start worrying about 
about the defensive backs because sometimes they get old quick. Logan Ryan's gone for sure. Malcolm Butler's probably gone. You may have a Dory Jackson. So you just look at the whole roster and you do that and you're like, okay, well, maybe these six guys are still good, but the rest of it's a big question mark. So all this is to say is, are you ready to throw a team down the drain that's winning nine, nine games a year and who has gotten better over the last 12 months and who you know, should go to a play, at least has the talent to make the playoffs this year, are you willing to give that up on a chance that you might get a quarterback who's good enough to even be in the top ten? Because you're not going to get a guy in the top one. Like, those guys we know about when they're freshmen. Uh, I mean, I guess except for Mahomes. But generally, like, and, and Russell Wilson, I guess. But generally, like, people knew Phillip Rivers. People knew, like, I guess, well, I guess I'm wrong. I guess they didn't know Aaron Rodgers. I was thinking about the historic, you know, or Tom Brady. I was thinking about the Peyton Mannings, like the Drew Breeses, like guys that people really loved, but like sometimes there were small issues with. But I guess that is true. You don't know. Um, now that that's just me rambling. But the point of this is, I think you take a bird in the hand over two in the bush when you're this close to being a perennial playoff team. Because I mean, once you, I mean, once you're in the playoffs, you can easily make a big run. We've seen Case Keenum do it. Nick Foles has done it. Blake Bortles has done it. Jared Goff has done it. Like, there's been a bunch of bad quarterbacks or, at the very least, average quarterbacks who've made it to the conference finals the past two or three years. So, I mean, I would rather pay Mariota whatever he wants, know that you'll probably get a small break because of the tax situation in Tennessee, and then just worry about the rest from there. Yeah. Also, Mahomes. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to dispute Mahomes' talent, but he came into a legitimate, perfect situation with an amazing play caller, uh, a, a game-changing receiver in Tyree Kill, the, probably the best tight end in football in Travis Kelsey. He also had Kareem Hunt next to him, who was one of the best running backs in the NFL. Uh, granted, Mahomes did a lot of his damage himself. But, I mean, he was put in a perfect situation. And to assume that if we draft a quarterback, uh, which won't be in the top five, maybe in the top ten, and that he's just going to come in and be this game changer with probably Arthur Smith as an OC, who's a relative unknown, I just think we're, we're kind of blinded by this Mahomes, this Mahomes thing. Um, and just how good he's been, and, and even kind of like the Deshaun Watson thing, who's also been good, but who also has his flaws, and, and has looked kind of not great at times, and he's also kind of injury-prone. So I, I don't know. Me, I, I just find it so hard to to commit to, to, to drafting another quarterback and resetting. Luke is gone. Uh-oh. I'm right here. I'm right here. No, okay. We can talk about how much we don't like Deshaun Watson because you know <laughs> while while he while his name is brought up, he is throwing to what is likely a future Hall of Fame receiver in DeAndre Hopkins and one of the fastest receivers in recent history in Will Fuller. Right. And he's still managing to mess that up on a near weekly basis where Dude. he can only get him to get him the ball when he throws them like deep rainbows or when they're wide open. Deshaun Watson is not who people think he is as a quarterback. No. Deshaun Watson is people that it is a guy that people see highlights of and assume he's that guy and extrapolate that to 16 games and they're like, wow, 
you know, this guy must be really good because we're seeing him on national television beat up the Giants. or so, uh, It'll be something <laughs> like that. Or only get blown out by 21 points by Kansas City. Like, he just, he's not, like, we've, we've all seen him firsthand backpedal out of pressure, like, run directly into sacks, like, throw the ball up for grabs just to get it taken away. He's just extremely lucky to be on a team where when he throws it up, the refs apparently can't watch DeAndre Hopkins long enough to see him push off at the top of his route, or he's got somebody who's just faster than everybody else. Look, final word on on Mariota. It all comes down to, really, I think, two questions. Number one, how valuable is he? Because I've said this time and time again. It is clear that when he is on the field, the Titans have the chance to win any game. But is that enough to warrant a contract extension? Is a chance to win good enough for John Robinson? For me, maybe it's good enough. For you two, maybe it's good enough. But it's going to come down to whether it's good enough for John Robinson or whether he wants someone where it's not chance to win, it's pretty likely that you're going to win with or, or because of that guy. And then the second question becomes... You know, how exactly do you go about this contract process? Do you tag and then try to do something later? Do you get yourself into a Kirk Cousins situation? You know, so, so I think that's what it comes down to. Do you guys, you guys kind of agree with that as a, as a summation of what we've discussed? Yeah. And I don't think the franchise tag is, is too bad of an option. Um, but obviously it's going to depend on, on how this season goes. Yeah, it's it's a sucky year to have to use the franchise tag just because there's so many free agents and you'd think there'd be some kind of value to use it on somebody else. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's a smart way to go. So the other kind of news, I guess, as we wrap up this episode, is A.J. Brown tweaking a hamstring in practice. Paul Kuharski recently <laughs> reporting that he will sit out of team drills during a mandatory minicamp as a precautionary measure. That's classic, right? It really is. After, after the Corey Davis hamstring issues, it, it's it's it was only it was poetic justice that AJ yeah. Brown would also get injured. Um, have, and it's the hamstring too. It's not just an injury. It's it's the hamstring injury. Yeah, it, yeah, God, those are so, those soft tissue injuries are so annoying, and, and they can linger. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't, because I think he's going to be a pretty important part of the offense, even in this first year. Um, yeah, uh, what I kind of well, we're not really talking about this, but from the offense, I really just I don't want to see like I'm I'm not looking forward to so many explosive plays because I, I'm not sure we have those types of of players. But I think if we can just run the ball efficiently and just kill teams in the intermediate ranges over the middle of the field with Delaney, A.J. Brown, and Humphreys. Which is what Mariota is good at. Exactly. I think they've set Mariota and the offense up to be this kind of efficient, efficient, methodical offense that could go on these 10, 12-play drives and melt clock um, and just let that defense go to work with with some leads. Well— uh, so I'll I'll talk about AJ Brown real quick. Um, isn't there video of him on his Instagram or Snapchat at some trampoline place? Wasn't that a big thing? Did y'all not see that this weekend? I saw it no. this week because no. I'm. A- <laughs> um, apparently he was like somebody was like his hamstring must not be hurting too bad because uh, like this is from his Snapchat or his Instagram and it's like I think it's him and 
it it looked like a child's play. So maybe there's a child. I don't know if he has a kid or not. But like like jumping on trampolines at like one of those big you know trampoline facilities. I don't like we have a place around here called Sky Zone. So I don't know if you have anything similar, but where like people jump around a trampoline. So apparently there's footage of him doing that. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. See, so like I'm I'm sure that like if he can do that. And, and also, we should talk about the fact that he tweeted, like, dodged a bullet and then t- tweeted, like, the prayer hands and stuff. I think he deleted the dodge a bullet thing just for the connotations. But, like, I mean, he yeah. just said he's fine. And there's video of him jumping at, you know, one of those trampoline places. So I'm cautiously optimistic that this is Vrabel just being like, we're not going to win any games in training camp. Pay attention. You've done all the routes and stuff during, you know, during all this other stuff, like it's not anything super valuable. So just go ahead and get mental reps and we'll get you ready by training camp instead of aggravating a hamstring injury and having you screw up the whole season. So that's what I think's happening. As far as the offense, I just want to see an offense where if the intermediate game is working, find different ways to attack the intermediate game. And then if the deep game is working, find ways to attack that way to not to where it's like, okay, well, I have these 10 plays that we practiced all week that I know or that I think will work. And then when they don't work, you continue to go to them. And when they do work, you don't go back to them. Because that's what we saw a lot with LaFleur, where it was like, okay, this is a week where they're going to run a screen a lot. And they would run it whether it's working or not. And then it was like, okay, this is a game like Philadelphia where it's like they're going to attack deep. And it's like, man, that's working. And then they're like, well, let's cut out two quarters of that just because you don't want to score too much. I mean, like as long as we have an intelligently run offense to where if your team's really good at intermediate routes and they're giving you the intermediate routes, take the intermediate routes. You don't like try to outsmart yourself, then they'll be fine. And some weeks we're going to see Adam Humphreys do well and some weeks we're going to see Corey Davis do well. And that's a good thing. You know, I I just want to see an offense that looks like it understands what it's doing not like when it's successful it's almost by accident i have a list in front of me of the receivers that the titans have drafted since 1997 i don't know a lot of these people but good lord what a tyrone calico legend tyrone calico Derek Derek mason was the very first obviously kind of set the bar pretty high most recent aj brown Corey davis taywan taylor tajay sharp and then you get into Doriel Green, Beckham, Trey McBride, Justin Hunter, Kendall Wright, Damian Williams, Mark Mariani. That was actually probably one of the best picks on here, Mariani. <laughs> that's, that's one. Kenny Britt, Dominique Edison. have no idea who that is. Oh, Lave- my. Lavelle Hawkins, Paul Williams, Chris Davis, Joel Filani. Is that how you pronounce it? That's a fake person. Fake person. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's a trick. You're trying to... <laughs> Jonathan Orr, Courtney Roby, Brandon Jones, Roy Dell Williams, Calico, Jake Schiffino, Daryl Hill. Jonathan Williams were actually good. Uh, this is just a disastrous list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah not not good. Yeah. But uh, hopefully A.J. You know, Brown could uh, break it, that streak. It is really funny, though. Like, a lot of teams, like like the Buccaneers, like, we need a receiver. Let's draft Mike Evans. Boom, it works. Pittsburgh, we need someone to compliment Antonio Brown. Let's draft Juju. Boom, it works. Giants, we, we need a playmaker. Let's draft Odell. Boom, it works. A lot of those teams just kind of went with a one jab at it and got what they wanted. The Titans have taken so many jabs and have never gotten what they wanted. 
Yeah. I mean, some teams weirdly attract specific positions. I mean, the Titans have always had pretty good running backs and almost historically great offensive tackles. And for whatever reason, and they've always had kind of the same quarterback be successful, whether it's Mariota or Moon or McNair, where it's like, you've got to be pretty durable. You've got to be a mobile quarterback. Like, I mean, it's all, it's this really weird thing that we've seen over and over, but I mean that, you know, whenever Arizona's done well, they've kind of had the same, like we can do this with every team, but you know, some teams just for whatever reason are either lucky enough or it's karma or it's like something in the water where it's like if Pittsburgh drafts a front front, you know, I guess front lineman in general, whether it's a four line, four man line or three man line, I'm like, Oh, that guy's going to be good. Even though I didn't like him and he always is. So just like whenever the Texans draft a wide receiver high, I, whether I like him or not, they're going to do really well. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's just weird that that happens. And, like, Pittsburgh has always been really good at drafting and developing wide receivers. Should we talk about how terrible uh, the Texans' ownership and franchise as a whole is after firing a GM after one year? The the Jags might have them beat, though. Oh, like, they're both terrible. And, interestingly enough, both their franchise players, uh, even though Yannick didn't get a tag or anything, but, like, both of the players facing big contract decisions are – sitting out of minicamp right now yeah and jaguars are scheduled to be if they give him the franchise tag something like 30 million dollars over the cap next year crazy yeah the yeah. texans gm drafted titus howard and then the president was just like dude you gotta get out of here he this was is, like this Yo. Is <laughs> yeah he was like what did you auto draft he's like this is insane dude they had a really bad draft yeah like a terrible, and we t- we talked about this in the DMs about how be like biased, but they they had a a bad draft. Yeah, they they had a so okay. The Jaguars had a good first pick, and then like a good second pick if uh, Taylor's knee and shoulder aren't medical red flags, which is the reason why he was a second round pick. And then they had a bad draft after that. The Colts had an outright mediocre best draft, like, and that's that's if you look and say, oh, well, the second round pick they picked up next year will help them. Even though when you look at stuff like that, it almost never helps the team. Uh, if you go back and look at those trades that, where people actually pick up second round talents for first round trades, um, so they had a pretty bad draft. But everybody quietly seems to say, like, oh, the Titans nailed this draft, but they don't say it too loud because they yeah. just go on to somebody else. Like, just, like, I mean, not to make ESPN a scapegoat because they were did a terrible job, but I had to watch them because Verizon. Dude, uh, I finally watched that, the the ESPN announcing of the Jeffrey Simmons pick. Dude, it's terrible. That was it's- awful. I haven't oh. seen it. I haven't seen it. So what they do is. So uncomfortable. Yeah, they've talked about Tyreek Hill for a long time in the pre-draft. By the way, instead of showing the 16th guy in a suit, maybe focus on doing your jobs and covering these stories ahead of time. Like, not that everybody didn't already know about Simmons, but they spent the entire portion of the Titans draft selection talking about talking about Simmons, and they were like, yeah, in case you didn't know, he, he's been accused of this and this. And I think they may have shown the video. They like, did. They did show the video. Insane. 
because they have never done that for any prospect ever. They didn't do it for um, the Bengals running back, whose name I forget. Um, Mixon. Mixon, yeah. Joey. Mixon, yeah. And now, I, I say that. I don't remember this happening, but I was probably watching NFL Network, which I should have done this time if I'd have had it, but I was stuck with ESPN. So they spend their time standing on their soapbox talking about all this bad stuff. Meanwhile, you won't hear a word about them, about Tyreek Hill or any of that stuff, unless, you know, it, it's something new comes out where they have to talk about it. But, I mean, they spent the Titans' whole draft pick talking about that, never showed, I don't think they showed a single game of his footage, and then moved on to the next pick, mm-hmm. it, which was a terrible job. And, oh, man, that that was... I mean, listen, I'm not like the, this PC guy, but I don't, it just seemed like they had this agenda, like they needed to get get out in front of, of you know, domestic violence. I'm not condoning what Jeffrey Simmons did. It was awful. But to completely ruin um, that guy's night, it, it, I don't know, man. It just, it seemed really ill-advised. Yeah, and they tried to frame it like it was domestic violence, which it wasn't. It was assault, which is two very different right, things. Yeah, in, yeah. Like, I mean, neither are good, obviously, but domestic violence is a very specific and heinous act. Like, that, it's not a catch-all. And because they were so wrapped up in the Tyreek Kill stuff, I don't know if they got a note from their producers, and it's like, okay, whenever he gets selected, make sure you hit this really hard so people know that ESPN is a Disney company and that they're very sorry for this. But whatever happened, I mean, it was... It was such a bad job. And and I know we're probably covering this a month too late. Yeah. But, I mean, that was horrifying. But, you know, the point of all this is, is the Texans fired their GM one year into a five-year contract because Bill O'Brien seemingly pushed the previous general manager out of power. If, if you listen to kind of the rumors and whispers and read what people say online, um, it, it seems like... You know, and I think Benjamin Albright called uh, Bill O'Brien the most powerful head coach in the NFL because he's seemingly been in these power struggles with people who are successful and have actually done good jobs. And because he knows Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, he gets a pass, which, I mean, it's cool for us. But the good news is, is, you know, they got rid of the guy who drafted J.J. Watt and Mario Williams and Hopkins and Dwayne Brown, all the great picks that the Texans have ever had, they pushed that guy out of power and hired this guy, fired this guy, and now we're looking at the guy who spent four first-round picks on, I believe, what is it, Brandon Whedon, Barkevious Mingo, no, five first-round picks, Brandon Whedon, Barkevious, uh, Barkevious Mingo, Cam Irving, Johnny it's- Manziel, and... Justin that Gilbert, corner who was a big bust. Justin uh, Gilbert, good, good track Ju- record. Justin Gilbert, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. So it's like you're going from you're two years removed from a guy who picked four Hall of Famers in the first round, three, you know, at least two in Andre Johnson and J.J. Watt, probably three or four when you look at. Where Nuke's career is going, and well, when Nuke you look was like at a, a, Nuke was a second round pick. Do what? Nuke was a second round draft. Pick. No. No, 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 no. He was late first. Oh, yeah, he was okay. like seventeen okay. or eighteen. He was somewhere in that range. 
But um, here's better yeah, like, Watkins coming out, but don't yeah. let him. I mean, he also found Arian Foster. If we want to talk about late round stuff, like he, like yeah, he just, was a good general manager, and he took that team and made them contenders quick. And instead, they're looking at that, you know, that other guy. So, I mean, it's great for the Titans. Like, you know, yeah. they're they're keep talking up Nick Casario, the guy from New England, who I don't think New England has ever allowed him to interview anywhere else, basically because he doesn't want to interview anywhere else. Um, but maybe maybe he does that, and people like him a lot. But I mean, the point is, like, to have such a poorly run franchise that you're, you know. Your head coach has a power struggle. Hand picks a guy to be the GM. He has such a bad draft in offseason and that, you know, your big contract guy, Jadevian Clowney, basically has said he doesn't want to be there and he tried to trade him. And then you have one of the worst drafts in the league, maybe the worst draft in the league, uh, and you get fired just as, as great news for the Titans who shouldn't necessarily have to deal with the Texans much longer as a big threat. I think it's going to come down to Tennessee and, and Indianapolis for the AFC South. Obviously not Jacksonville, but there's just so much turmoil in Houston, and their players are aging, and their secondary is just hideous. Yeah, and that's where you know you kind of look and you're like, okay, well, the Colts have to play the second hardest they have to play the second ranked teams in each division that you know that make the team that make the conference schedules or non-conference schedules harder and the titans get to play the third and you look it's like okay what does that do for them long term so those matchups will be really interesting because that game last year not only you know the final game of the season not only impacted who went to the playoffs even though it ultimately didn't mean anything when the chiefs blew out the colts but it, it also may be like, okay, well, that change in seeding ended up costing the Colts the playoffs this year. I mean, it, it's a really important thing to watch, and I'm kind of interested to see how it all plays out. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't know how they expect Deshaun Watson to be upright after this year, after all the damage and hits he's taken. You know, it really feels like – I don't think the Colts are the best team, but I think Andrew Luck is really good in that offense – because it's like it's like a please don't hit me kind of offense where he gets the ball out so quick and they've got a good enough offensive line to where when you go to your dime package that it's like stop them from running the ball on you but i mean it'll be really interesting to see the titans and colts play this year even though my heart tells me the titans will lose both just because that's what history has shown me (laughs) well pretty amazingly we made it through an hour's worth of titans discussion and it wasn't anything like I don't think uninteresting necessarily. That's just me. Um, so well done. Uh, probably gonna probably gonna be a little while before we do another one of these, just because again we're in the the bad time of year, as Will likes to call it. Yeah, um, we're doing another tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah t- tomorrow we're gonna talk for an hour about uh, Kevin Pumfield versus Nate Davis at right guard. And we're going to discuss what Kevin Byard should make. We're going to talk yes. about Alex Tanney beating out Daniel Jones and Eli Manning in camp. That's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give you which <laughs> saying, by the way. We'll give you a quarterback tiers where Alex Tanney is uh, in our second tier right behind the elite class. The, the answer to how much money yes. Kevin Byard should make is all of it. All of it, is, correct. Should he make $30 million? Yes. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> No, but but I, I think Kevin Byard's going to get an extension 
fairly soon. That's just a hunch. Best Bob. passer rating in Titans history, baby. That's right. <laughs> Maybe he should be the quarterback. He's done well when asked before. <laughs> He's one for one. He's batting a thousand. That's right. Um, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back at some point later this summer. Uh, thanks for tuning in. For Will and Matias, I am Luke. We will talk to everyone next time.